honesty hour, I did not know what I was doing in regards to launching this podcast. And I wouldn't have been able to do it without Anchor. Anchor makes starting a podcast super, super easy and allows you to not only use their platform to distribute the podcast, but you can even go on your phone or computer and record and edit the podcast right on their platform. Best of all, it's totally, totally free. So if you're interested in starting a podcast, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. I've always had this like kind of infatuation in development. And today we had on a really dope developer here in Milwaukee. His name's Tim Gockman. Um, and honestly, one of the best conversations I've ever had. I geeked out, I geek out like, multiple times during this interview and I've interviewed some of, uh, I mean, just role models for myself and everything like that. And just really sitting down and seeing someone that's impacted the city quite like he is, it's been, it was really cool to sit down and at least have an hour conversation with him. As passionate about the growth of the city too, you know, not just, hey, I'm gonna be here and I'm gonna make money and I'm gonna leave or anything like that. He's passionate about, you know, what's, What's the best building material to use here? What can we do that hasn't been seen in the city yet? What can we do to help bring more architectural talent to the city, which will then help grow just the city as a whole? There's so many different things that Tim brings to Milwaukee as a developer that I very much appreciate. Yeah, I, I mean, I know Q appreciates him the most because <laughs> he, he, put a road, he put a roof over his head. Uh, <laughs> So you can't complain on that, but we're gonna keep this intro short and sweet and let you listen to this episode because it was a really good episode. Uh, no need to go open dictionaries or anything like that. Tim dumbs it down for you. Um, and then he also talks about what the impact family had on his upbringing and how it's really defined who he is today. But before we do that, I would like to read that five-star review on the podcast oh. that we got on Apple. So please feel free to leave your review on our podcast on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever you use, and we will potentially read it on the podcast. Say we have one from Judy who says, I stumbled on this podcast one morning. I walk my dog each morning, and generally I don't listen to music or talk on the cell phone. I enjoy the peace and tranquility of the early morning. But for some reason, I decided I would check out different podcasts, and I accidentally stumbled upon this one. I love this podcast. Hearing the different stories of entrepreneurs, their struggles, their achievements, their daily grind is inspiring to say the least. I recommend Strange on Purpose to everyone. Shout out to Judy. Wow. Now that's a testimonial. That's a review. Rebecca would be so happy. Rebecca, our business <laughs> just coach. Screen, just screenshot. Wow, yes. <laughs> please send it to her after this. But uh, honestly, thank you guys so much. And please uh, subscribe, like, whatever you guys have to do to help us get, get the word out about the podcast. I think uh, it's really cool sitting down and interviewing people and it's really impactful for us. Um, and we, I mean, we don't make money off this. So we really just want to put it out there and make sure that we impact as many people as possible on a daily basis. So uh, review, share, whatever you guys have to do. We appreciate you guys immensely uh, to take a, a word out of Q's vocabulary. Um, Which one, I'm curious. I'm geeked for you guys <laughs> to actually listen to this episode, so let's get it. Tim, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Like I was saying earlier, like we're weird, no plan. We just think you're dope. So for anyone that doesn't know who you are, can you just give yourself a bit of an intro? Oh, that's nice. Um, yeah, man, we got you. 
My name is Tim Gockman. I am the managing director of Newland Enterprises. Uh, Newland Enterprises is a Milwaukee-based real estate development firm. Is that, that good? Simple. More? That simple. I, I, you, you paused. I mean, we were just talking about dogs. <laughs> we did a lot. Like, I feel we, like there's so much more. We, well, yeah, okay. So Newland, so Newland was formed in 1993 by my father and his business partner. Um, they started out, so we emigrated from the Soviet Union. Uh, they came here. They started painting houses. Uh, from painting houses came a small painting and renovation company. From that came a purchase of a duplex. From that duplex was another duplex and just slowly worked its way up. And now we are closing in on about half a billion dollars with real estate developed. We own and manage 1,500 apartments and about 200,000 square feet of commercial space. I live in one of those apartments. That's crazy. Yep. And we appreciate that. <laughs> we did, shamelessly. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, now, we, um, and now we're working on a 23-story mass timber building, which is probably the most exciting thing we're working on right now. Yeah, dude, that's legit. I feel like every day like, I get a message from Izzy or like, he screams across the office, like, look, Tim's doing something. Get him on the podcast. <laughs> I've been trying to set this up forever, dude. You're working on some cool stuff, man. We appreciate it. It's... You know, so, so when, my, when my dad started the company, you know, Russian immigrant, um, real estate's kind of like old boys club type of thing. So, um, so I feel like if you're, if you're trying to break into the industry and if you don't have the finances, you, you have to do something other people are not willing to do or you have to create something that hasn't been created before. And that has been his biggest thing, and that has been Newland's um, really mode of operation since its founding, and it continues to be the thing that we do. So our, our big thing has always been innovation and tilting the playing field, because we don't like a level playing field. Mm. Um, and so we do that by either going to a new market or doing a new building technology, uh, whether it be mass timber that we're doing now, but before that it was light gauge steel that we used in Rhythm is light gauge steel. And we thought the first time we used that was in 2005. And we thought that people would see how it works and they would copy us, but they haven't. Um, and, uh, or, or we do a new product type, um, whether it be the micro units that we did Rhythm or, or the food halls or the black cat alleys or whatever, whatever is interesting, we do. How do you find those places or those materials or technologies? Um, well, sometimes I think that once you, you know, if you keep doing innovative things, if you keep taking, taking risks, um, then other people who are risk takers will start approaching you, which was the case in Blackhead Alley. Um, so we certainly didn't come up with a concept. It was a vacated city alley. Um, and it was a professor from UWM, uh, his name's Tim Decker. Mm -hmm. And originally it started with, let's just clean this alley up because kids were cutting through it. And it's, it was kind of mind blowing, right? You've got Prospect, which is really nice, and Farwell, which is pretty nice, and all of this development. And then there's this alley and there are needles and there are homeless people and it's dark and it's just, and so, and he said, let's just clean it up. So will you guys invest a little bit of money, clean it up and then, um, I'll have some of my art students just 
paint, just do some senior thesis projects in there. That's what it started with. And then he brought in Stacy Williams, and that's when it kind of blew up. And so they started bringing in um, artists from not just Milwaukee, but regionally, nationally, and we have an international artist. That's the Big Frog. And My favorite one. Yeah, it's yeah. cool. And there's a cool story behind the frog, too. The first, the first thing that he proposed, Stacy afterwards told me, she's like, I didn't even show it to you. But it was not okay. <laughs> like, it was violent and race-charged and just, like, that's not what we needed at the time. And so, um, so she turned him down, and, and the artist is, um, he's French. So he was like, oh, you don't like this. He's like, what do I know? I'm just a stupid frog. And frog is a derogatory term, term that Brits use towards the French. Yeah. And she was like, great, do that. <laughs> yes, perfect. And that's how the frog came along. Wow. There's, there's, right? There's always a story. That's my favorite one. It is. So, I didn't know it was there until like, like two weeks later. Like when we moved on the east side, like two weeks later, you walk through and I was like, and I turned around one day and I was like, oh my God, that's dope. That's dope. It's a big ass frog standing there. <laughs> <at me. laughs> wow. Am I seeing things yeah. right now? <laughs> What's the... Um, to get back into kind of the vision for you guys, what's the idea, what's the end all goal with the mass timber? And what, I know I've read a ton of articles, um, whether that be great articles or I've, I've read your quotes, but for somebody that's listening that thinks, why would somebody build a building with mass timber? What's, what's your answer to that? Oh man, why wouldn't you? Um, so... So to back it up and to mm-hmm. kind of go back to what you're saying, um, I I just read a lot. I I really love architecture, and so um, God, how long have we been working on a scent now? It, it has to have been three years ago. I read um, an article about the River Beach Tower, which is a hypothetical, was a case study um, done by Perkins and Will, really famous architectural firm. Um, and Thornton Tomasetti, structural engineering firm that's world famous, has done some of the most complex buildings in the world. And so they did, uh, they designed an 80-story building on Chicago's riverfront made out of mass timber. And once you see this, and you have to see the images of this, you can't unsee it, you can't forget it. It, it haunted me. And so I sent it out to everybody. I sent it out to my dad and um, and everybody was like, wow, that's crazy, that, that that's even possible, right? Exposed wood structural members spanning an 80-story building and the interior is all exposed wood. Super cool. So, yeah, we, we kind of saw that and then, okay, well, you see it and it's crazy and it's, it's not really practical and so you shelve it. Um, and about a year later, the, the site um, where Ascent is proposed um, we owned it, and we've been working on various plans for almost a decade. Wow. And so, yeah, and so we, we had gone through multiple iterations of the building where, for one reason or another, we just, we just weren't able to get it off the ground. Um, and people forget, but prior to um, NML 777, um, there was really no Class A luxury high-rise product in Milwaukee. And, um, or, or what we consider class A product compared to other bigger cities, they're like, yeah, no, that's not class A product. So, um, um, so, so to define that, right, we're talking about amenities like a swimming pool and a state-of-the-art fitness center and 
And in order to afford those things, you need a certain number of units within a building. You just can't afford it with a 100-unit building. So you need to get up over 200 units. And we don't have a lot of developments like that in Milwaukee. So we've been trying to convince investors to build larger, more expensive apartments. And we were just getting a lot of pushback on it because they would say, well, we don't have anything like that in Milwaukee. So there's probably a reason for it. And we look at it and we say, no, that means there's an opportunity. And there's clearly demand because Milwaukee's big enough. And I feel like that's not a thing that's just with apartments. I feel like that's a thing with, with a lot of different, whether it's technology or products or whatever. So, um, so we lost that battle with the investors at the time, and then 777 came along. And all of a sudden, everybody said, oh, yeah, we do need luxury product in Milwaukee. Well, all of a sudden, there are three other competing proposals. And so as always, we were looking for a way to tilt the playing field. And all of a sudden, the mass timber thing came back into my head. So... I, and I remember it was a Friday evening. I pick up my phone and I call my dad and I say, hey, you know what we should do uh, on the book on site? That was our code word for it. Um, and he said, what? And I said, we should do mass timber. And he goes, oh, that's funny because a week ago I called Jason Korb, our architect, and I said, hey, Jason, what if we do mass timber on the corner? <laughs> so a year later, within a week of each other, without talking to each other, we both came up with the same idea. Wow. And, but he didn't tell me about it. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and so I see, you know, the short of it is I see mass timber as the Tesla of the construction industry. Mm. The, uh, the way that Tesla flipped the EV market on its head, right? Because before Tesla, it was, okay, well, if you're buying an EV, you're doing it because you want to do the right thing. But you're going to have to make some sacrifices. Maybe it's not aesthetically exciting, and maybe the range and the performance are lacking, and... And Tesla came along and said, no, 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 that's all wrong. This is going to be the product that is the most beautiful, the best performing, the safest. And the fact that it's eco-friendly is a foregone conclusion. That's not even on Tesla's website. On the, on the homepage, there's nothing about sustainability. That's just a given. And timber is the same thing. When, when you look at how beautiful it is and how people react to it, when you see how it performs in the field, um, from all of those standpoints, it's enough. And oh yes, also it has a negative carbon footprint because you're sequestering carbon. And so there's this huge environmental benefit. Um, so yeah, why not build with timber when you can? I love that. It's, it's funny. I, I've chatted with, I've seen, been in Milwaukee, what, eight, seven, eight years now. And you track, man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But it's crazy seeing how much things have changed. Like when I first moved out here, North Water Street was nothing. And um, it's crazy how fast things can change. And with people like you at the helm kind of making the decisions, I think the city's in good hands. But what makes you kind of say, hey, I, I really want to invest in this area of Milwaukee or even not in Milwaukee if we want to look into different markets? What really says... Is there something inside of you that almost tickles you that says, like, this is the spot? Or do you get right down into the analytics and everything like that where you're like, okay, um, I'm going to make a very educated decision on this? That's a good question. <laughs> uh, we should hire you. <laughs> oh, we should, we're supposed to consider those things? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, you know, some... it. It's, I think it's, it's a little bit of everything. Um, 
to your point about how much Milwaukee has grown a lot and has improved a lot, um, to me, it's, it's still not enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I look at what other cities are doing, and they have also, you look at Denver. Denver used to be smaller than Milwaukee. And now you look at, and I still don't understand the location of the airport, but, but how you get Isn't from... Isn't it like an hour away? Like it's like less, 45 minutes. It's yeah. crazy. It's crazy. I can have an entire podcast on that because that pisses me off. I'm sorry. I don't know. I, I'm sure there was a reason, right? But maybe they just got a really good deal. But, um, but, but you get there and you take a train and it's like two and a half bucks and it's super fast and the service is regular and you get into their union station, you get into the core of downtown and their ballpark is right there. And that union station is now a gigantic food hall and outside is a gigantic plaza and it's a splash pad and it's young and old and families and professionals and dogs and it's just so activated and so dynamic. And you look at that and you're like, there's no reason why Milwaukee can't do that. It's just for, I don't know, I, it, I don't know if it's a chip on the shoulder or, or that we constantly talk about things that piss me off. It's the constant comparison to Chicago, which is the dumbest possible thing that Milwaukee can do. Right? And, and it hit me, it really hit me. Uh, I was visiting a friend in Seattle and we're standing on top of a hill and I'm overlooking Seattle. And, um, and he's like, what do you think? And the first thought in my brain was, great city. I'm like, it's not Chicago. And it hit me right there and then. I'm like, well, I bet people from Seattle are not like moping around me like, we have a nice city, but we're not Chicago. Right? And, and Madison is not doing that, and Minneapolis is not doing that, and Cleveland is not doing that, and Denver is not doing that. Why are we doing that? And it's simply because of proximity. Yep. It's so stupid. So, but, but that being said, it doesn't mean that we can't take some great things that are nearby that we can learn from Chicago and implement them here. I think what happens a lot in Milwaukee is when something new is not executed well, and then people say, yeah, see, like we told you that doesn't work in Milwaukee. And my answer is, no, no, it works if it's done right. Mm-hmm. It's just, you, you, gotta, you gotta do it. You gotta really do it. So, um, so for us, it's um, sometimes it's that drive to just, you know, you see something. Um, like right now, one of my dreams is to, to do a hotel. Mm-hmm. I know nothing about hotel management. Um, but intuitively, I know that um, Milwaukee can handle more than one cool hotel rooftop bar. Yes. Yeah, we need those rooftop bars. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Like, we have one. Yeah. <laughs> what? Not Chicago, right? <laughs> I'm not asking for a hundred for one. <laughs> so, um, and 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 that's done well, right? I mean, if you think about the last decade, think about how many hotels have been built in the last ten years. Flags that Milwaukee never used to have, brands that Milwaukee never used to have, right? Kimpton, Marriott, Aloft. These are things that didn't exist in Milwaukee ten years ago. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, the pace of change is exciting, but, but I see certain things, and I'm like, yeah, well, we should also have this. Yep. And so yeah, with the food hall, it was partially that. I was like, why don't... It makes all the sense in the world. And we have such a great food scene in Milwaukee. Yeah. That's the flip side of it, right? We have so many things that are amazing, so many people that are amazing, and we take for granted how good they are and how easy it is to get access to them because we're used to it. 
And people from Chicago come up and they dine at Ardent and they're like, holy crap, this is incredible. And you can just, like a week out, get a reservation on a Thursday night. Yep. In Chicago, this would be like three months out. So we got to appreciate those things. It is kind of sad. It feels like, like I was just talking about it this morning, like so many people leave Milwaukee. We're talking about like talent and retention, but like we're not actually like appreciating those people, you know, and not actually having conversations with those people. Like what would you, when you talk about change, like what would you like to see happen within the city, let's say next, next 10 years? Well, why are you guys here? How I are you guys here? I ask myself that question all the time. <laughs> My business is here. Um, I like the people, dude. I like, I like some of the people. I like what it could be. I like that it's a blank canvas. You know, there's a lot of room for growth. Um, I don't like the cold. I don't like how we don't appreciate the people and things that are here, but I see room for growth. And I think that's why I'm here. I like, I'm a creative and I want to throw art everywhere. But, but you can't possibly be the only one, right? So if you're a creative and you see the opportunity, that definitely means that there are other creatives who also see the opportunity. Um, and it's, I just have to figure out a way to leverage it. Mm-hmm. And connect everyone. Yeah. What else do you want to see? Um, honestly, I, ooh, what would I like to see? Big dog park downtown? More dog park. <laughs> Big dog park? Downtown. Is Ian Apson hiding around the corner somewhere? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, dog park would be great. Um, I, think, I think people, you know, I think the answer that comes right away to the top of people's minds, like, I want to see this specific thing. There are a bunch of specific things. I think bigger picture is... Um, I think the city needs some visionary leadership. Um, we we did some big things for a while, and and I you know I'm biased. I looked at everything through a through a real estate lens, um, but Milwaukee historically has been responsible for some really amazing things. Like there was an, so Milwaukee was just um, featured in City Lab, which is uh, the Atlantic's online version, and. Um, it was talking about the sewer system and how amazing of a job the city has done in the last 50 years and how it now ranks at the top nationally. And our public market is one of the best, literally one of the best and studied like a case study in the country. Um, you know, MPS had huge breakthroughs and was a model nationally for some of the things they did. Um, Tearing down the the um, not 794, but the uh, Park East Freeway, um, right, was a big thing, and building the Riverwalk was a big thing, and I feel like we've slowed down a little bit. Like, like we haven't had big things since. Like the streetcar is, it feels like it could be a big thing, but even that is difficult, right? Even that has its challenges. Um, yeah, I mean, whatever it is, I, from a, purely from a real estate standpoint, I would love people, I would love to see people getting together and figuring out a novel way to so- solve affordable housing, yeah. right? There's not a single city in the United States that has solved affordable housing. Um, I would love to see Milwaukee carve out a niche 
that other cities haven't done. One of the things I thought about is not a single city in the country builds itself as a family-friendly city. And that's a cycle, right? It's, it's, it's a continuous cycle that people grow up in the city and they're like, oh, we really, really like it. Oh, but we have kids, so we have to leave. No, you don't. Not if the city's set up for it. There are other cities in the world where families thrive. You just have to program it that way. But that's like, that's not a six-month thing. That's not an 18-month thing. That's a multi-year thing. Um, but, but we can do that. And if we carve out that niche, then all of a sudden, the arguably biggest problem of attracting and retaining talent, well, there's, there's something unique. There's a way to tilt the playing field. It's a story. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that, um, that the, the creatives and, and the visionaries in the city um, know that there, there are a lot of other people that are thinking this, that are desiring this, and hopefully gives them the courage to step up and share their big ideas on a larger platform, and, and something will come out of it. Yeah. I want to switch to a positive side. What parts of Milwaukee... Well, it's it's it's, it's, it's not the positive. But like, it's not the positive, but, like, you know, it's, we're not Chicago, you know, all these negative connotations. See, what parts of Milwaukee or things that Milwaukee does well do you want to see other cities start to implement? None of it. I want the competitive advantage. No, I'm it's ours. It's all ours. Um, that's a great question. I mean, I, I, I don't think that um, we're not Chicago is in and of itself negative. True. I think it's just a statement of fact. We're not True. Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, we do a lot of things that Chicago can't do. Um, the fiscal health of Wisconsin, for example, right? Yep. Um, but, but there are a number of, I mean, the number of people from the Chicago area come up to Milwaukee to dine, to relax, to buy real estate, et cetera. Um, what do I want to see other cities emulate from Milwaukee? Um, I'll tell you what, okay, the, the one thing that I've noticed, so we've got, we've got this food hall, right? We've got Crossroads Collective, and um, I've always been fascinated by chefs. It is such a difficult industry, um, and I think people just don't fully... I think unless you've worked in food service, you just can't really appreciate, which I know you can say about other things too, but um, the thing that I've noticed in Milwaukee is that in that industry, it's incredibly collaborative. Incredibly collaborative. And from what I understand in other cities that are either the same size or bigger, you don't have that. It's a lot more, I don't say catty, but like, it, it's not that same collaborative spirit. And, and I notice it, I think in real estate we have a similar thing too, but um, I think that's Milwaukee's edge, right? We're, we're not Chicago and uh, Joe Stanton, um, right. uh, I don't know if you know the guy, but um, he and uh, uh, Pat Connaughton are doing some real estate developments in Milwaukee. Yeah. And he talks about, you know, he grew up in Boston. Well, he spent time in Boston. Uh, I think they grew up in the Midwest. Um, but they spent time in Boston, they spent time in Portland, and they're just floored by how friendly and cool Milwaukee is. Um, and I think that's our edge, and as we grow and as we develop, we maintain that edge. And I think that's something that other people would want to emulate, right? That cohesiveness, that community. I love what you say about like, just, just collaboration. And like, when I first met you, 
um, like in person when I first met you, you told the story about you know apps and how like you're building the building that I'm living in now in like the the lobby area. Mm-hmm. You're gonna have like maybe a chair there, and you're gonna put like the fitness center in the back. And you're like, this is gonna be an area that people hang out in. And I think Ian pulled you aside or something, or it was like basically like this is stupid as fuck. Like no one's gonna hang out here. Yeah, you change the entire thing. And like I sit in that lobby all the time, and I work there all the time, and I don't even think about it. It's just like this is an inviting area. So question like one, what did you end up doing? Why did you end up doing? But how do you know when to trust someone in a collaboration like that and change something that you're gonna do because of that? God, I hate to give so much credit to Ian Aston. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, it, I, I knew instantaneously that he was right because it's logical, it makes sense um, right, if you think about so we deal, you know, I call it the built environment we deal in the built environment and, and we've been um, looking at our mission statement and vision and trying to figure out well, what do we want to do and it's really to improve the occupant experience in built environments and that's what it boils down to. And, um, and when you think about your experience in any room, in any building, right? you think about, for example, the art museum. It is a beautiful space, but it's not cozy. Right? You, don't, you might see a piece of art or that, that glass top, and, and you stand there in awe. But it's not cozy. You're not going to like sit down in a corner and read a book, right? For that, you want a different type of aesthetic. Um, and so great design, to me, kind of splits in two. There's that kind of like awe-inspiring art museum, and then there's the type of space that makes you want to stay and be. And because we deal with buildings that are not museums, but are typically apartment buildings or mixed-use retail, that latter experience is what we're focused on. And when Ian said, yeah, you haven't thought about the end user and you haven't given them a reason to stay and think about who is going to come through the lobby and why they would stay instantaneously, I knew he was right. Um, so it was easy. It, or, for us, it was easy to say, oh, yeah, we're going to scrap this entire thing. So everything the architects had drawn, <laughs> we scrapped. Uh, and, um, and it was great. It was. Um, we worked with Brothers Interiors, um, and they got it. And so we designed those partitions and the chairs and um, came up with a really cool space. And, and the Iron Horse, I think, was an early adopter um, of that experience. And so we took some cues from them, but also from Denver Union Station. Yeah, I love that. Took my dad a long time to... Uh, it, it's one of the things where he's like, yeah, I did not understand what the hell you guys were trying to do. Because we said remove all the walls, right? And he's like, no, community room. Like, if I'm having a party, I don't want other people in my business. I'm having a party. Yeah. And I was like, well, they won't be in your business because there's this magical technology called red velvet ropes. And you put them around and holy moly. And, uh, and he was like, what if we just, like, how about we build a glass wall around it? And that way you can still see through it, but then it's still separate. And finally, I was like, well, look, we can always add a glass wall later. Why don't we build it without walls, see how it plays? And if we don't like it, we can always build a glass wall. And he was like, yeah, okay. That was it. That was the one time that I was right and he was wrong. That was it. That's it. That's my my claim to fame. Coming from an immigrant background, um, family, obviously, 
sounds like really came from nothing and really put what is now built. Um, they put in the work to do what you guys have now. What, what kind of qualities do you think still live within you? Uh, if you have any brothers and sisters, really any member of those, your fa family that really still sticks with you to continue to wake up in the morning and say, you know what, I'm going to build a big ass mess timber building. So I'm an only child. Okay. Um, the hands down, the biggest influence in everything business related is my dad. Mm -hmm. um, he is the most brilliant person I know. Um, and the, the drive, it, he's, he's such a unicorn because he is an engineer. Um, so he's able to literally walk a site an empty piece of land, and he sees the building. He sees, he sees the shafts, and he'll just take out a piece of paper. He can't, he can't use like Excel, but on a eight and a half by 11 yellow legal pad, he'll just draw out the shell of the building. He knows what the distances are, and he'll, he'll draw the building. Um, but then on top of it, he'll also ballpark the performa. So he'll be like, yeah, the rents will be this, and the expenses will be this, right? And then I take like, two months with my team to do all of that, and he's never off more than 1% to 2%. And then he'll also put the construction budget together in his head. And same thing, he will not be far off. So wow. he's able to touch every discipline, and then he can go into the field and he can sell. Right? He can foster that relationship with the people and, and the storytelling. And so he's just this really, really unique individual. And, who, who made the decision, and I have, I've got two kids now, and, and so really once, once you cross that bridge, now I really appreciate what he did. At the age of 30, not speaking the language, right? No internet, no, you're living in the Soviet Union, no actual knowledge of what's on the other side, and with a Soviet-imposed limit of $150, you take your 10-year-old kid due to some gifts from the uh, Soviet government uh, and uh, visa complications. We have to leave my mom behind. So it's just he and his 10-year-old kid. And you get on a plane and you do not tell the Soviet Union that your destination is the United States because then you just go straight to jail. Um, so you tell them it's a different destination and the plane stops in Vienna, Austria, and you get off the plane and you surrender yourself to the authorities and you ask for political asylum from the United States. So, in the scope of all of that, <laughs> right, whatever problems you think you have, you're like, yeah, those are not really problems. Yeah. So, that, that helps. Yeah. That's badass. Yeah. Seriously. It, how did that legal pad look for your development, your new <laughs> development down in Bayview? How did the what? The legal pad that your dad drew, drew on, or it, let's say, yeah. like, how did that work out? That I mean, I drive past that building every day because I decide not to take the highway because I don't like traffic. I drive down KK and drive past that building, and that's a massive building. It's a big building. Is that the biggest development that you've worked on? Um, square footage-wise, footage um, to date... Uh, you know, that's a good question. He would know off the top of his head. Uh, urbanite, <laughs> urbanite is is pretty close. Urbanite okay. is vertical. Yeah. Um, right. That's the 13th story that we did on Farwell Avenue. 
Um, it's beautiful too. Thank you. It, that's 153 units. Um, um, Kinetic is uh, 140, but Kinetic's got 16,000 square feet of retail, and Urbanite's got three and a half thousand square feet. So they're they're comparable, but yeah, Urbanite is in the context of other high rises along Prospect, whereas um, Kinetic is um, is a statement. It's a gateway into Bayview. The uh, first of all, literally this morning. Um, my dad called me and, and just reminded me how good-looking Kinetic was um, and said, do you remember when you said we shouldn't be doing this building? And, uh, <laughs> and I was like, yes, I do remember that. Thank you. Um, remember that one time I was ready? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, just reminding you. Yeah. No big deal. Uh, at, at the time, right, at the time, we were super constrained with staff, and so we were, we were dealing with the difficulties of growth, which... Um, Everyone, I've learned now, most people make the mistake of thinking that they're unique, that their problems are unique. They're not. Your problems are probably similar to other people's, and they've been dealt with before, and there's a playbook. But um, yeah, we've hired a lot of amazing people in the last um, 16 months, and so that's made life a lot easier. But um, that project was was interesting. It 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 grew into what it should be. Uh, it started with um, well, the plan before Kinetic was different. At McDonald's, and, and I've heard different stories, but I've heard that they weren't interested. But my understanding is there was a proposal to put McDonald's there. Um, and uh, Tony Zielinski said, absolutely no way, which was great. Um, and so they approached us and they said, would you take a look at this? And, uh, and my answer was, no, we're too busy. We don't have time. Uh, and my dad said, no, we're going to take a look at it. And we did. But then it grew from the Hamburger Mary site to the duplex, to the next duplex, to the single family house, the adjoining city land. And so, and it had to because it had to, there's certain golden ratios in real estate development, right? Like you can't, as, as much as I would love to see fewer resources dedicated to cars and more to pedestrians, Milwaukee is, you have to be reasonable about transition. Milwaukee still drives a lot, and so as much as we, you know, we're, we're closing down Archer, or we've closed down Archer Street, that's going to become a pedestrian plaza that connects our building to Zillman Park. Um, so that's a big win, but you still have, it's still market-driven. Um, you still need a certain number of parking spots per unit or per bedroom. Well, either you're building one level of parking or two levels of parking. You can't decide how many parking spots you build. And so there's that ratio, and so the ratios have to line up. And so there's this kind of balance between number of stories of residential and number of parking decks. Um, so that whole building kind of grew in size. But specifically for, and I know there was a concern in Bayview, and we got unanimous approval. And overall, we went through, I think, in a, in a pretty unopposed way. But um, I know that there was a concern in the community, well, if we allow this big six-story building, are they just going to pop up all over the place? And really, the answer was no. This is a specific case. You've got a super busy intersection of KK and Beecher. That's the gateway into Bayview. Mm -hmm. And so to slow down the traffic and to make that street not feel so overwhelming, you actually want a taller building to constrain the street. And then, right, and then it transitions into the rest of the KK retail district, which is awesome, and you wouldn't want to change yeah. Um, so that's that's how that thinks. But in my office is a you know just a white eight and a half by eleven, 
uh, with just handwritten numbers, and it's the performa, it's the income and the expenses and the valuation, et cetera, and it's framed, and that's Urban A. And it's just on, on one eight and a half by 11. Wow, jeez. And that's my dad. That's awesome. I feel like a nerd right now. I'm like geeking out. <laughs> I haven't geeked out during a podcast for a while. So, hurrah to you. <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a nerd too. I am. Thank you. Hey, it's good to, hey, nerd, nerdy's in. Nerdy's, <laughs> nerdy's finally sexy. Thank you, Bill Gates. Yeah. yeah. I have one, I have another question. Um, in regards to, obviously the city deals with a ton of different issues. Um, what do you think, why, why do you think, um, it is that we don't see more people of color that are developers that are in your position. Um, and that can be a, obviously a variety of different circumstances, but why, why is it now that we are seeing the branded rules of the world and the, the Q and Khalifs of the world start to s develop? Why does it take it so long to, in your opinion? I honestly have no clue. Yeah. Um, I know that, you know, I know that Milwaukee is segregated, and I've said this before, I think that um, you, have to, you have to define terms, like seg seg what does segregated mean? Like when, when my family came over here, we went and lived in Shorewood because that's where the Russian community is, right? If you're, if you're an immigrant of Hispanic descent, you're gonna go live near people who are of Hispanic descent. Mm -hmm. So that type of clustering is normal. I think the issue that Milwaukee has is that there aren't good places for people to mix. So if you think about, for example, Chicago, right, and you think about Millennium Park, everyone's in Millennium Park. Rich, poor, family, not family, young, old, everyone mixes. And I think that's important. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not a novel concept. Europe's had this for hundreds of years. Um, and I think Milwaukee lacks that. Because if you think about it, like what, What's our central go-to public meeting space? What is it? Is it Cathedral Square? Exactly. That's sad, yeah. if it is, because it's not programmed well. Is it, is it the lakefront? Is it Veterans Park? But there's nothing there. Like, you can't even buy a cup of coffee or grab a sandwich. So we don't have, and that's like by the lakefront. That's, you know, and, and that means that also most likely you're driving, which is an issue not just from a pedestrian standpoint, but not everybody has a car. So um, that's on, you know, that's on the, the pockets and the segregation of Milwaukee. But why it's taken so long, I, I don't know. Maybe that's why. Maybe it is because it's so segregated. Maybe it is because of the um, uh, economic history of, of Milwaukee and um, how badly the black community got hurt by the manufacturing jobs leaving. And, and there was no transitional path. I know that the Acre program has an impact. Mm -hmm. um, and what I know now is, is simply that it's starting to happen. And I think it is incumbent on, and I think it's been happening, but I think it's incumbent on the established real estate developers and companies to mentor that talent. Yep. Um, because then that talent will go back into their communities and mentor subsequent talent. Um, but yeah, I really, I, I'm not going to pretend to know the answer. Yeah. I think the, I, we hit on it earlier. It's the people that are doing the good, the, the Kalins, the guys that I mentioned before, they're, they're staying here. Um, so nowadays you're seeing 
uh, high school students watch Q and Khalif's building going up or Kalen's building going up or Brandon's building going up and they're like, wow, I can do that. Um, and I think there was a pocket, like you said, where unfortunately those jobs left and there wasn't those developers. So now there, like, there wasn't people thinking, they weren't picturing themselves in those types of positions, right? And there weren't going into tech because who knew I can go into tech, those types of things. Um, like my dad is in construction. My grandfather was in construction. So I thought um, if I was ever going to be involved in building a building, it would be the, the construction phase. And that I was like, I'm 100% okay with that. And I thought that's how I'd build a family and everything like that. But after going to school and getting the opportunities that most don't get, I realized very quickly, like, like that could be me in, no. a, in, in a very few years. So... I think it's it's interesting. I think, like you said, it's it's a com combination of a ton of different things. But the good thing is, right now, if we look at present day, it's happening, and it, we that's for it's starting couple, to happen. Exactly, yeah. it's sure. starting to happen, and for a couple of generations there, I think it, it never did, which is unfortunate. But now it's it's coming around. And what I would say is that to anyone who is aspiring to do a development project don't be afraid, right? Pick up the phone, send an email to us, to Mandel, to General Capital, to everyone, right? Everyone on the list of people that you read about. Like Milwaukee is, going back to that friendly thing and collaborative thing, I sit at the, you know, at the round tables and everyone has a desire to help. They don't necessarily know how to do it. Um, but, I would be shocked if anybody would not be willing to volunteer their time and be like, yeah, I'll sit down with you. I'll go over the performa. Let's go over the, you know, the land valuation and let me make introductions to bankers and to architects and yada, yada, yada. Um, and, and if somebody does that, then screw them. Like if they don't, you know, if they're, if they're not willing to answer email, then, then let, them, let them get left behind in the dust. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you, dude. Appreciate you coming on. Lastly, like, because we don't want to take up too much of your time. Um, and Ken is like stress walking back there. Yeah. <laughs> um, what, a, what makes you misfit? What, a, what makes you strange on purpose? I mean, have you seen me? <laughs> I saw you when you walked over at my dog. So. <laughs> and didn't even acknowledge Q. <laughs> That's it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Like you have a dog. <laughs> um, what makes me misfit? Uh, gosh, I, a lot. You know, it's part of it, I think, is the immigrant experience because... Um, people are like, well, do you feel American or Russian? And I'm like, well, it's definitely not Russian. Um, I don't, you know, I don't root for them in the Olympics. Um, <laughs> but, but I, and my wife, who's also not born in the United States, um, also talks about this. Like, we have a little bit of an outsider's perspective. Um, but I think it's, it's maybe, maybe not it's good to have an outsider's perspective, but it's good to have different perspectives. And the biggest thing that I think can benefit people is travel. I had an insane conversation once with someone where we were talking about the streetcar and like it or not, the statement just, he was like, well, and I was like, have, have, you, have you been to this city or have you been to this city to like see it in action? And he's like, no, he's like, I don't need to go there. I've read about him. And I was like, oh God, okay, well, that conversation's over. Um, and it's, right, and, it's, and that travel, I'm, you don't have to go to Europe 
like sometimes the travel is just two miles west, right? To go west of the freeway and just to experience that neighborhood or traveling into central Wisconsin or just, just to see how people outside of your little bubble live. Mm -hmm. um, and then you find out that everyone is basically a misfit. It just depends on the context.